discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Headline. Coronavirus quote-unquote immunity passports are a terrible idea that could backfire, experts warn. Sounds like something you might find on one of those kooky right-wing conspiracy theory websites, huh? Well, what if I told you that actually comes straight from CNN last year? specifically on Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Oh yeah, at that time, CNN was reporting the following. Some governments are considering using a blood test to determine whether people can return to work, school, and other public activities during the coronavirus pandemic. Lack of certain antibodies would mean you don't have a quote-unquote immunity passport and are therefore not allowed to venture out in public. Those who have them would be issued certificates to roam and restart economies so the vulnerable can stay home. But the World Health Organization and other experts say that's a terrible idea. In a commentary published in Nature, molecular biologist Natalie Kaufler and Canadian bioethicist Francoise Bailey said, quote, so many flaws that it is hard to know where to begin, end quote. They listed reasons why they think it's unworkable and unfair. Quote, labeling people on the basis of their COVID-19 status would create a new measure by which to divide the haves and the have-nots, end quote. CNN.com. Now, fast forward one year later, same place, different time. And this is what CNN was reporting about, specifically on May 28th, 2021. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission said Friday that employers are not legally prohibited from offering incentives to employees to get vaccinated for COVID-19 and that companies administering vaccines themselves can also do so, quote, as long as the incentives are not coercive. End quote. The EEOC already said in December that companies can legally mandate all employees re-entering the workplace and new hires be vaccinated for COVID-19. CNN.com again. Now, fast forward to today, and unless you live under a rock, I'm pretty sure you can see already where I'm going with this. One thing's for sure, folks. If the comparison between those two CNN articles are any indication, the times, they are a-changing, and they sure are a-changing fast. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy folks, 
Stop me if you've heard this one before. Approximately two years ago, if you were to tell someone that governments all around the world, including at the local and state level here in the good old USA, would mandate that its citizens take a vaccine and then show proof that they had done so in order to enjoy the freedoms to travel, work, attend a concert, eat at a restaurant, go shopping, receive health care, etc., etc., you would be labeled a conspiracy theorist. But, not for long, as demonstrated in the first CNN article in the opener, less than a year later, within just a few months after the pandemic began, it was totally cool for mainstream media outlets like CNN to not only talk about immunity-based health passports, but to seemingly take a stance against them, albeit through the words coming from quote-unquote experts and groups like the World Health Organization. And what I mean by that is, although neither CNN nor the writer of that piece came out and explicitly took a stance one way or the other, they also made zero attempt to discredit any of the information, using classic NLP and propaganda techniques, therefore vaguely by proxy sanctioning the message. Now, as already demonstrated briefly in the opener, if we were to move one year further down the clown world timeline, we would find ourselves at a place where the so-called experts and various organizations appear to have done a complete 180 concerning the mandating of vaccines, and government all around the world were either beginning to implement or start considering what is commonly referred to as a quote-unquote vaccine passport. And at first, many local politicians swore up and down that they would do no such thing. Yet, if we were to move just three months later, further down the clown world timeline, to today, here and now, as evidenced by the headlines and the happenings all around us, well, I think you know the rest. But before we take an official look at exactly where we are now, let's take an official look at where we were then, and hopefully along the way, we'll see exactly how we got here, and I'm afraid we may never quite understand it, but hopefully with a little guidance from yours truly, we'll be able to recognize it as it happened. And to begin, I'd like to go back to that very first CNN article, back to these quote-unquote experts, the molecular biologist Natalie Koffler and the Canadian bioethicist Françoise Balis, and their message that was so graciously sanctioned by CNN somehow. And exactly what was that message? Well, going back to the article. For starters, they wrote, It's not clear whether people develop any kind of lasting immunity after a coronavirus infection. The World Health Organization has warned governments against issuing immunity passports, saying there's no evidence people who have recovered from COVID-19 are protected from a second coronavirus infection. Then there's the fact that while antibody tests are crucial in determining past exposure to coronavirus, not all available antibody tests are reliable. Some antibody tests had high rates of false positives in screenings performed by a consortium of California 
California laboratories, nor are they available for everyone. There aren't enough tests for everyone who needs them. Plus, there aren't enough survivors. If only coronavirus survivors are allowed to contribute to the economy, there won't be enough manpower to keep it humming. Also, privacy is a concern. So is marginalization, and labeling too, and even more discrimination. Ethically, they argued, monitoring erodes privacy. Monitoring people to see who's immune would affect already marginalized groups. They wrote, quote, with increased monitoring comes increased policing, and with it higher risks of profiling and potential harms to racial, sexual, religious, or other minority groups, end quote. New forms of discrimination could emerge, as any program for certifying immunity could be expanded to include other forms of personal health data. Quote, the immunity passports of today could become the all-encompassing biological passports of tomorrow, end quote. CNN.com. And just to be clear, folks, so we're all on the same page here, way back then, in May of 2020, when this topic was up for discussion, these so-called immunity certificates or immunity cards are documents that would be issued to those who have survived COVID-19 and tested positive for antibodies to SARS-CoV-2. The whole idea being that survivors with at the time, a, quote, presumed acquired immunity would be allowed to return to work and resume social interactions, quote, secure in the knowledge that they were neither at risk of infection nor of spreading the disease, end quote. This, of course, was before the vaccines. And now we are witnessing the rollout of actual, real-life, quote-unquote, vaccine passports. And before I move along too further here, or too backward, depending on how you look at it, let's take a quick peek at what these vaccine passports look like here and now by examining Italy's Green Pass. And the following is taken from Lonely Planet, who explains, A Green Pass is a vaccine passport or health pass. They've become increasingly popular in recent weeks as countries figure out ways for non-essential businesses to continue to safely operate during the pandemic while limiting the spread of the virus. Denmark was the first country in Europe to launch a COVID-19 pass scheme so that fully vaccinated people, as well as those who test negative or have recovered from the virus, could enter indoor public spaces. France and Spain followed suit with their own health passes, and in the U.S., a similar scheme has been introduced in New York City to ensure people infected with COVID-19 are not entering venues where the virus could easily spread. In Italy, their version of the vaccine passport or health pass is known as the Green Pass. It's an extension of the EU digital COVID-19 certificates, and people need to present Present it to enter indoor spaces such as museums, football stadiums, gyms, theme parks, spas, swimming pools, and theaters. It's also required to sit indoors at bars and restaurants. On Tuesday, the Italian government announced that from September 1st, the Green Pass will be extended to cover access to public transport. That means people will need to present their Green Pass to board trains, planes, buses, and ferries. The introduction of the Green Pass is meant to encourage vaccine uptake as the Delta strain spreads rapidly across Italy. It can be presented in either digital or paper format. In Italy, it certifies that the holder has had at least one jab of the vaccine, has tested negative in the previous 48 hours, or has recovered from the virus in the last six months. Tourists who are traveling to Italy from an EU country
country needs to present the EU digital COVID-19 certificate to enter the country, and then they can use that cert to enter venues under the Green Pass scheme. If vaccinated, they will need to have completed the vaccine course. Italy is open to tourists from low-risk non-EU countries, including the US, Japan, and Canada, and travelers coming from those countries are required to show proof of vaccination before traveling with a health document that's compliant with EU and Italian regulations. For Americans, that's the white card with the CDC logo. According to the US Embassy in Italy, those vaccination cards can be used to enter spaces where the green card is required. The Italian government has confirmed that it will also accept official COVID documents that were issued in Canada, the UK, Japan, and Israel from tourists too. If you're not vaccinated, you'll need to be tested via a PCR or antigen test within the previous 48 hours. Always check the latest government advice before travel. LonelyPlanet.com Well, thank goodness none of this sounds like that scary situation that the conspiracy theorists are shouting about, comparing everything to Nazi Germany, you know, where people were required to carry some sort of documents proving that they had permission from the local government to travel and live their life. Hey, wait a minute. That's exactly what this sounds like. And then some, because it gets much worse. But we'll worry about that later, because that was just a quick look at where we are now. And in order to see exactly how we got here, let's go back to then. And let us take a peek at how the world used to feel about vaccine passports and whatnot, shall we? So here we go, folks. Hope you're ready. Fasten your seatbelts. Let us now travel in our clown car backwards on the timeline to October 17th, 2020. A different time and a different place than CNN, anyways. In this case, the Irish Times. The headline, quote, stick your vaccine up your arse, end quote. The COVID-19 vaccine, the science, and the skeptics. Written by their health editor, Paul Cullen, who said, Last Wednesday evening, shortly after announcing yet another round of restrictions, effectively canceling Halloween and raising a big question mark over Christmas, Michael Martin quickly disclosed how bad he feels things are. Quote, Until we get a vaccine, the Tisha told yet another hastily arranged press conference in government buildings, normal life will not resume as we know it. End quote. With the government's version of the quote-unquote test-trace-isolate strategy, failing to rein in infections, and no official enthusiasm for alternative strategies such as elimination of the virus or shielding of the vulnerable, its hopes of getting out of this crisis are increasingly reliant on vaccines being deployed to protect against the disease. With one-third of the world's population enduring quarantine this year, 1.2 billion children taken out of school, and $1 trillion wiped off the value of the global economy, it's not just Ireland that is crying out for a solution to COVID-19. If 2020 was the year of the pandemic, 2021 is shaping up to be the year of the vaccine. Hundreds of vaccines are in development. Eleven are already at phase three, being tested on thousands of humans, and the first three products are forecast to be ready by the end of this year. Yet this next stage of the pandemic brings with it a new set
set of questions and unknowns. Will the vaccine or vaccines work? Will they work on those most at risk? Will they be safe? Will sufficient people use them in order to provide wider population protection? Who gets them first? How much opposition will they encounter? At this stage, it can be assumed, given the massive resources being thrown at the problem, that at least some of the 170 vaccines under development will make it through the regulatory approval, probably in the next six months. Demand for the protection they afford is likely to be strong. Equally, it is likely there will be opposition to whatever vaccine is produced, in particular if it is mandated, i.e. compulsory. The prospect of a global COVID-19 vaccine has breathed new life into the traditional anti-vaccine lobby, which has found common cause with anti-lockdown and anti-face mask groups. Quote, there's no doubt this is going to be contested, says one doctor who declines to be identified because of the quote-unquote toxic atmosphere around the issue. There is a huge amount of hostility out there online. You've got anti-mask, anti-lockdown, anti-5G, soon it will be anti-vaccine. Others will oppose a vaccine for COVID simply because Donald Trump supports it, end quote. There is nothing new about disinformation around pandemics and vaccines. During the 1918 flu pandemic, for example, the false rumor went around that the virus was being spread by people taking aspirin, made by the German company Bayer. To this day, attempts to eradicate polio have been frustrated in some countries by claims the vaccination program is a Western plot. The new vaccines under development take a variety of approaches to the challenge of instructing the immune system to mount a defense against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Some build on existing technologies, others are following novel routes and may take longer. According to Professor Karina Butler, infectious disease specialist and chairwoman of the National Immunization Advisory Committee, there is quote-unquote every hope that one or more of the vaccines in deployment will prove effective. Quote, we are progressing more quickly than ever before, but it's like watching the Grand National. You never know if someone is going to fall at the last fence. End quote. This is because each candidate vaccine has to jump through numerous hoops before it can hope to get approval. Is it effective? Is it safe? Does it work with at-risk groups? Those vaccines that have reached phase 3 trials, using a far larger testing group than phases 1 or 2, are each being tested on thousands of adults, and could ultimately be used by billions of the world's population. Because the trials are randomized, not all participants are actually getting the vaccine. Some are given a placebo. Professor Butler says phase 3 trials give good data in terms of common or even relatively uncommon problems that can arise. Indeed, a number of prominent trials have been halted in recent weeks after participants fell ill. However, they may not pick up every rare side effects of a vaccine, she points out, so some level of risk is involved. Children, older people, pregnant women, or other groups could react differently to the vaccine, for example. The aim is to address any issues that arise in final trials and in surveillance after a vaccine is approved by regulatory agencies, such as the European Medicines Agency, and in Ireland, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, HPRA. At this stage, Professor Butler says, it is a big ask to look into the crystal ball and assess which of the 
candidate vaccines offers the best prospect of protection, as well as a ready supply. The speed at which the new vaccines are being developed has caused some unease. Most take 10 to 15 years to bring to market, and even the fastest in development for months took four years. Regulators have set the bar for the primary endpoint of a phase three at 50% protection, meaning that an effective vaccine is considered one that cuts the number of infections among those receiving the vaccine by half. Quote, the reason they're going so fast is because they're doing so much in parallel rather than in sequence, and that has never happened before with vaccines, says UCC biochemistry lecturer Dr. Ann Moore. Looking at safety, it will take as long as it takes." End quote. Speaking at a symposium on vaccines organized by the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland, RCPI, Dr. Moore said she would have quote-unquote no qualms about getting any of the new vaccines once they are properly approved. Quote, I'd be first in the queue to get them. End quote. Also speaking at the RCPI event, Professor Luke O'Neill, a biochemist at Trinity College Dublin, said, quote, There's never been a spotlight on vaccine development like this. Big Pharma is aware it's being scrutinized hugely. The big fear is if there is a safety signal, it will stop people vaccinating for other diseases. So safety is the absolute top priority here, end quote. The fact that a number of trials have had to be stopped due to adverse patient events is a quote-unquote good sign, he said. Liz O'Brien, a former pharmaceutical regulator who has also worked in drug development, warns that while regulatory bodies work, quote, to the highest scientific rigor, a vaccine with an efficacy as low as 50% is not a panacea, and cannot form the basis of Ireland's COVID strategy. We know that efficacy is often lower again in older populations, and that must be considered in the overall picture of strategic planning. End quote. Dr. Moore also expressed concerns about a vaccine working for older people unless it is very efficacious. And she cautions, quote, I don't think a vaccine will end this pandemic tomorrow or suddenly. It is going to trickle on for a little while. End quote. Initially, Professor Butler says, it is likely a successful vaccine will be licensed for those most at risk healthcare workers, for example, or, if suitable, older people. The extent to which vaccines provide protection varies from person to person according to our makeup and immune response. The flu vaccine, for example, is generally less effective in older people with depleted immune systems. Vaccines, though, also provide wide protection across the population, provided enough people take them. For a highly infectious disease, such as measles, for example, a threshold of 95% uptake has to be reached in order to achieve herd immunity. Given how transmissible COVID-19 is, it is thought an uptake of at least 60% and preferably much higher will be needed to confer population protection. But is this level of cover achievable? In a recent RTE poll conducted by Behavior and Attitudes, 32% of people said they would be unlikely to take a new COVID-19 vaccine, while 56 6% said they would, 12% 
didn't know. Professor Butler says she understands the sentiment expressed in the poll. Quote, Most people will hesitate when presented with something new, especially if they feel they are at risk. I'm fairly confident we'll have solid safety data before we go recommending to people to take a particular vaccine. End quote. Some of the products in development build on existing vaccine platforms, she points out, making it easier to make an informed choice. Quote, There will always be a core group who don't want vaccines no matter how much data there is on them, says Butler. They tend to be a small minority, but the wider group of people looks at the pros and cons and aims for the best thing for them, end quote. It is less than a decade since anti-vaccine campaigners began targeting the then-new HPV vaccine for teenage girls. Using social media to deliver an emotion-laden message directly to parents, they claimed hundreds of girls had suffered chronic ill health after taking the cervical cancer vaccine, despite the absence of any evidence of a causal link between the girls' symptoms and the vaccine. Uptake of the vaccine plummeted from 87% to 50% as vaccine hesitancy grew. It took a sustained response from medics, pro-vaccine advocates, and the likes of Laura Brennan, the young Claire woman who became the poster child for the HPV vaccine before succumbing to cervical cancer, before rates started rising again. The issue died away, but rumbles on. Regret, the group set up by parents alleging harm from the HPV vaccine, told the Irish Times this week, quote, We have concerns that a rushed warp speed vaccine, which has not undergone long-term testing or testing for non-specific effects, may not meet the necessary safety standard, end quote. Today, the controversy around COVID-19 has breathed new life into the anti-vaccine cause. Information sheets have been dusted down, websites spruced up, and across Europe and the U.S., people have taken to the streets. On an overcast Saturday afternoon earlier this month, those opposed to a vaccine were prominent among the anti-lockdown protesters outside the Custom House in Dublin. Quote, stick your vaccine up your arse, one of the musicians playing at the rally shouted to general amusement in the crowd. The rally was jointly organized by Health Freedom Ireland, HFI, a group composed of long-standing vaccine skeptics that says its mission is to provide quote-unquote impartial information on the issue. Co-founder Maeve Moran told the rally HFI's aim was to quote inform, educate, and support people around vaccines and freedom of choice. She said quote we have been accused of being far left and far right but we have no political agenda. We are committed to the provision of truth throughout the dissemination of legitimate scientific information, end quote. The group responded at length to questions from the Irish Times and published the answers with footnotes on its website. It claims, quote-unquote, many parents are highly concerned about the number of vaccines recommended for their children, that, quote-unquote, many Irish children are suffering side effects, and that, quote, transparency and unbiased information is not always forthcoming 
from either the HSE or our healthcare professionals. It says, quote, The development of COVID-19 vaccines shines a spotlight on many of the existing issues we have with other vaccines, especially in relation to the definition of safety and the definition of effective in clinical trial protocols, end quote. Though many of the arguments made by the group seem familiar and are certainly vaccine skeptical, the group rejects the anti-vaxxer tag. Quote, the term anti-vaccine is neither useful nor correct. It is often deliberately used to discourage and discredit those that dare to raise valid concerns over vaccine safety and efficacy. End quote. Science writer David Robert Grimes, a prominent critic of the anti-vaccination movement, describes HFI's information on vaccines as, quote, a trove of well-trodden anti-vaccine propaganda, giving the illusion of rigor without any substance. The leaflet hand waves away the copious evidence for the efficacy of vaccination garnered over centuries as a mathematical abstraction. There has always been an anti-vaccine cohort since Edward Jenner, creator of the smallpox vaccine, says Grimes, but they've always been a vocal but small minority because the success of vaccines has been so blindingly obvious for the most part. The problem is that people lose sight of how important vaccines have been for our societal health. Immunization has made diseases such as polio or smallpox specters of the past, so we don't have this visceral reference point, and we sometimes take vaccines for granted or become complacent." End quote. Grimes says the other factor driving the increased visibility of anti-vaccine groups is their early mastery of the internet. Quote, While small, they have been absolute pioneers in dominating the internet. They were good to spot its potential, and later that of social media. End quote. As humans, most of us are prone to responding more to emotive or negative statements over sober analysis, and the anti-vaccine movement has effectively exploited this form of negativity bias, he says. With the World Health Organization identifying vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 threats to public health globally, Grimes says the main driver of this trend is exposure to anti-vaccine conspiracy theories online. There is quote-unquote nothing new about objections raised by the anti-vaccination lobby to a COVID-19 vaccine, says Grimes. Quote, this is not new BS, it's the same old BS. They're running the same myths, using the same playbook with every vaccine, end quote. Last year, then-Minister for Health Simon Harris floated the idea of requiring children to be vaccinated before admission to crèche. The idea never progressed, but mandatory vaccination is likely to feature next year in the debate around a COVID-19 vaccine. Professor Butler says mandatory vaccination is best used, quote, as a last resort and only in specific situations. The first step with a vaccine should be to incentivize and make it easy for people to take it, to remove barriers and provide education, end quote. Recent improvements in the uptake of the flu vaccine in healthcare workers and the general population show how this approach can work, she says. Quote, a lot of groundwork on vaccine hesitancy will pay dividends, but we have to be responsible about this and make sure it is safe. And if a person suffers harm, there should be a mechanism to support them, end quote. According to Dr. Moore, quote, mandating is not the way forward. It has to be 
by consent, end quote. A quote-unquote better policy, Professor O'Neill suggests, could be, quote, to say you're part of our society, and if your child is not vaccinated, you can't go to school, or if you don't have an immunity stamp on your passport, you can't travel, end quote. Grimes says he understands the apprehension of some about the speed with which a COVID-19 vaccine is being developed. Quote, the reason we do phase three trials is to test for safety, to ensure it's causing more good than harm. It's about balancing the risks with the benefits, end quote. People get tangled up in seatbelts in car crashes at times, but we still use them because of the enormous safety benefit they confer, he points out. Quote, we're currently seeing what life is like without a vaccine. It's desperately true that we need something to be able to live life again, end quote. Irishtimes.com. So, there we have all of that, folks. It's always absolutely fascinating and frequently eye-opening to go back in the past and re-examine the news then and compare that to where we are now, isn't it? And I understand that article was quite lengthy, but I feel it was well worth the trip, don't you? I also think that at this point, we have a pretty solid foundation for this little series I've started here, because this is not over by a long shot, people. We're just getting warmed up. And unfortunately, so are these so-called vaccine passports. Join me next time, won't you, as we take a deeper dive and examine a portion of the clown world timeline that represents the intermediary between then and now. A time when talking about implementing vaccine passports was no longer a conspiracy theory, nor even considered quote-unquote a terrible idea by the mainstream media and their gaggle of experts. I'll see you all next time for part two, and I promise I do not require you to have proof of vaccination in order to listen. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Wednesday, August 18, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.